0: Good afternoon, everybody. I want to continue this uh, Dhamma talk. Yesterday, I started uh, talking on the outline of uh, mindfulness, what you call a nutshell of uh, the mindfulness meditation or personal meditation. This is called uh, establishment of mindfulness. We have um, certain amount of mindfulness, uh, but we have not established it. It comes and goes. So to establish uh, mindfulness, uh, there has to be a a place. The place where mindfulness can be established is uh, ourselves, our body, feeling. Consciousness and uh, various type of uh, phenomena that occurs between the mind and uh, various mental uh, states, mental objects. And that's where we establish our mindfulness. If we don't uh, train the mind to establish mindfulness in these four uh, stations, four uh, places, then uh, mindfulness will not be steady and strong and powerful for us to use whenever we want it. Therefore, we spend a lot of time in trying to establish mindfulness in these places. It is very interesting that the Buddha called one of those who practice the establishment of mindfulness bhikkhus. Traditionally the word bhikkhu is used for those who have uh, undertaken certain uh, training principles, training rules, and living monastic life. That is a sort of a traditionally accepted uh, definition of uh, bhikkhu. But Buddha generally spoke the word, used the word bhikkhu in some places uh, without even having any making any reference to any ordained uh, persons, for instance, uh, when we gave the discourse on four foundations of mindfulness, which is called Mahasatipatthana Sutta, in a township called uh, Kuru, uh, in the audience uh, there is no any uh, reference to bhikkhus uh, present. We, in in commentaries and sub-commentaries, we read about uh, lay people in those areas. Probably th- there must have been some bhikkhus also, although his uh, primary audience uh, is bhikkhus. Uh, but in this particular place, no reference has been made to any particular bhikkhu. But in some other places, like uh, uh, for certain individuals who were not ordained traditionally, like uh, uh, Bahya Daruchiriya, when he came to see the Buddha, he was just wearing uh, regular ordinary lay people's clothes, and Buddha called him a bhikkhu. Why? Because he himself was a very ardent, uh, diligent uh, practitioner of uh, mindfulness. So, it's a very honourable title, uh, that uh, meditators get from the Buddha himself. So you all are qualified for that uh, uh, definition <laughs> if you want, if you like. <laughs> Since you are practicing so diligently meditation, mindfulness, and trying to establish it in these four stations. And uh, in the establishment of mindfulness the very key word is sati. Uh, sati uh, means uh, memory. Memory, this in generally the word uh, sati can be used for any kind of uh, uh, memory. Uh, for instance, sati uh, vipamutta, that is uh, confused uh, memory or oh, unclear memory. Upattita satisayandham dhamma mutta in that place, this uh, This practice is for the development of uh, sati, memory. Especially when we practice mindfulness, we we strengthen our memory. Memory becomes strong when we practice mindfulness. When the mind is confused, without any training, then whatever little uh, memory we have, we will lose it. It is very interesting that uh, Buddha mentioned this, this is very true, if you remember, if you train yourself uh, in the practice, your memory will increase. So what kind of memory is that? Here, the word sati is used for very special memory. That is the memory of uh, the reality that we experience. The reality that we experience is when we pay attention to our own uh, body, feeling and so on, uh, we invariably notice one common denominator of all our experiences. That is, they all are, without any exception, exclusively they all change. Uh, that means they are impermanent. Don't be afraid of the word impermanent or the experience of impermanent. That's a very uh, powerful experience. A uh, very uh, meaningful experience of uh, reality. So, whatever we we experience now is impermanent. What we have experienced yesterday, a minute ago, uh, an hour ago, was impermanent. Whatever we will experience in future is impermanent. We tend to forget this. <laughs> that is the very interesting thing. Although it is so present all the time, we tend to forget it. And uh, the sati here means uh, remembering this very reality all the time, and that is the kind of uh, sati we are trying to establish. Then we gain this uh, experience by paying uh, total, undivided, mindful, undivided attention to our experiences, and uh, this establishment of mindfulness also is called uh, by the Buddha direct way and uh, oh the only way (laughs) when you hear the word only way you might get little uh, you might think it is sort of uh, leery Uh, it's sort of suspicious and uh, you might sometimes uh, think well uh, how about other ways is it not uh, a narrow-minded prejudiced uh, uh, way of expressing the teaching or the practice. Friends, don't be afraid of that either, because uh, we have, when we see the reality, uh, we will uh, not deny the fact that it is the only way. Only way for one thing. There may be many other ways for many other things, but for this, this the only way. And Buddha used it uh, without any hesitation. Sometimes people call it only direct way. Uh, Other ways are indirect. Uh, There are ways to go to heaven. Uh, There's a way to go to hell. There's a way to go to uh, animal kingdom. There's a way to go to ghostly uh, realms. There's a way to go to Brahma realms and so forth. There are ways, various ways to go to various places. But to go to the place that uh, we want to go, that Buddha wanted us to go, is there is only one way. And Buddha said, so maggo etam Because this is the only way for. Vision and purification. Purification and vision, the only way. And uh, and Buddha also called this uh, uh, the only way. Sometimes uh, foundations of mindfulness, establishment of mindfulness, uh, is the only way. It is the way to uh, delude uh, Mara, evil one, to confuse evil one. To put him behind us. And uh, there's a very beautiful uh, statement in the Dhammapada. Uttanena appamadena sanyamena dhamenatha deepankai kairatamedavi yang oghu nabikirati Uttanena with diligence. uh, Appamadena. Uttanena means with uh, perseverance. Appamadena with diligence. Sanyamena with discipline, dhamena, training. Deepam kairatam edali. The wise one makes oneself an island, makes oneself an island which no floods can inundate, which no flood can, can reach, make an island. When you hear the, the imagery of island, Sometimes people might wonder, is it not very selfish? It sounds like you are isolating yourself, precluding precluding everybody. Friends, uh, even there is nothing to be afraid of. That is exactly what we want to do, to be isolated ourselves. Not just uh, physically. Even though we are isolated physically, We are not really isolated. We have a companion. No matter where we go, we go with our companion. What is our companion? Our greed. Our greed is our companion. Wherever we go, we take her with us, our companion. So we are not totally isolated. When we practice mindfulness, we slowly weaken these companions, and make the companion so weak that she cannot follow us half uh, on the half half the way, or one or two thirds of the way. She will drop dead because <laughs> you know, she gets so tired. She cannot go with us. That's what we had to do <laughs> when we when we keep practicing, 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 our greed slowly becomes so weak, it, she cannot keep up with us. <laughs> Eventually, she will drop dead. And then only can we be really isolated. Once we are isolated, then no flood can inundate us. There are four kinds of floods they are called Ogha. Ogha means flood. Kamogha, Bhavoga, Dittoga, Avijoga. Kamogha means flood of greed. Bhavoga means flood of becoming. We want to become this, we want to become that, we want to become that, and so forth. Or become this being or that being. Avid Avijoga is a, a flood of ignorance. Boy, that is so powerful. It is Almost impossible to weaken until we attain full liberation. And Dittoga is a a flood of views. We have uh, trillions of different types of uh, views, beliefs, ideas. And we are uh, full of all of them. So, the Buddha called this island four foundations of mindfulness is this island four foundations of mindfulness. In the narrowest, highest sense, island means Nibbana, total liberation, where these four kinds of floods will not uh, uh, trouble us, bother us. And uh, the path we lead or take to go there is a really lonely path. You know, Even if we want to take somebody, we cannot take along with us. When you sit here, although there are so many people here, you are alone. You don't meditate for others. Others don't give an iota of help to you to develop your mind. They are doing their own business. Each and every one of us practice for ourselves. Individually, personally, I cannot meditate for you, nor can you meditate for me, and I cannot, uh, you know, inject some kind of uh, little uh, peace into your mind. You practice it. Amidst of millions of individuals, you sit among them, and you meditate for yourself. And it is you who develop your mind. You can see all kind of uh, monkey mind or non-monkey mind is within you. Nobody can make it for you. So, in that sense also, this is an, this uh, only uh, lonely way. When I, when I am hungry, I feel hunger and I eat. You cannot eat for me and so forth and so on. On, honestly speaking, truly speaking, we all, each and every one of us in that respect, is in our own little island. So we are practicing uh, to keep ourselves uh, moving on alone with ourselves. When we are born, we born we are born alone. When we die, we die alone. When we live, we really, literally live alone. Although there are some others around us, uh, periodically they might help us anyway, but uh, in the true sense of the word, we live lonely life. And when we practice mindfulness, we will not be lonely. We may be alone, but we will not be lonely. Because we have so much stuff within ourselves to work with. <laughs> They give us plenty of uh, opportunity and a lot of companions we have with us to go on the, on the way. So, Buddha said, <laughs> This is the only way for gaining vision and purification. In fact, the purpose of this meditation, vipassana meditation, is fivefold. And we always must remember this fivefold purpose of this practice. It is outlined in Sutta at the very beginning at the introductory passage. It is uh, mentioned, although we tend to just brush it aside to overlook it and ignore it, but uh, the, the purpose is given right there. Fivefold purpose. Let us take each of them in turn and try to understand what these five for First, I enumerate them and then I go through each of them uh, one by one to with little um, uh, explanation. Number one is called satta Visuddhya for the purification of beings. Beings. Who are the beings? This word being also is very important. Satta sattva in Pali is translated into English as beings. Not being uh, the verbal form, but the an entity, living entity, being. Being, we all are beings, but uh, in this definition, according to this definition, Buddha and Arahams are not beings. What is the definition of being? A Buddha, the definition is like a punning on word. He said, "Satto asatto ti sattho. asatto ti sattho. Asatta means clinging. Clinging hold or grabbing to, grabbing or holding on to something is called a being. What are the things beings holding on to, grabbing? They hold on to the form, they hold on to the feelings, we all hold on to the perceptions, we hold on to the volitional formations, we hold on to our consciousness, and therefore we are all called beings. Beings means, satto asattho, king, king asattho, rupe asatthati, Vedanaya asattati sanyaya sankharesu asattati, sankha asattati vinyanasmi asattati We hold on to form, hold on to feelings, hold on to perceptions, hold on to volitional formations, and we hold on to our consciousness. Therefore, we are all called beings. Buddhas are not called beings. Asatta Sugatang Buddha. When Buddha was uh, described, he was described as asatta, the asatta. He was asatta. Asatta means one who does not hold on to any of these aggregates. His body is there, but he doesn't hold on to it. His feelings were there. He did not hold on to any feelings. Perception was there, did not hold on to the perception. His volitional, he had volitional formations. He did not hold on to them. And he had consciousness, he did not hold on to that, And therefore, Buddha and arahants are not called beings. Everybody else is called a being. So, they need purification to become non-being. So the practice of mindfulness meditation is for them who hold on to the aggregates for their purification. Number one, how can we purify when we practice uh, vipassana meditation, how can we purify? We don't purify our clothes, our body, we purify our mind. How can we purify? You know, if we know the technique of vipassana meditation, we can see how it purifies our mind. I I mentioned several times when you sit on a cushion and focus our mind, that alone does not purify our mind. Of course, during the period we keep focusing the mind on the breath, during that period, if you do not let other unwholesome thought enter the mind, then to that extent, for that period, for that short uh, period of time, the mind gets purified only during that period. But we want to, remember, we are trying to establish our purification. Through the mindfulness, We are when we establish mindfulness, purification also will be established. It is not something temporary. So, there are various ways uh, Buddha has uh, given in various places, they all separately mentioned, look like unrelated to our practice of meditation, but they all are related to our meditation practice. Everything must come together in the meditation practice, because uh, whatever we read there uh, is a part of the Noble Eightfold Path. Noble Eightfold Path is the bhavetabba, that which is to be cultivated. That which is to be cultivated is a meditation practice. So, among many places, I want to mention only two places, where Buddha has specifically given instructions to purify the mind. When our attention goes to certain objects, visual, sound, smell, taste, touch, and the thoughts, Whenever the mind goes there, if greed arises er, at that time, that is the time we have to be mindful. Then, having being mindful at that time, we use some other means to get rid of that greed at that moment. It may be temporary measure, but it will build up as we keep practicing it, this practice builds up to establish our mindfulness. The simile Buddha has given is, suppose a, a carpenter, when he works, he if he wants to get rid of a little nail which is stuck in the wood, what he does, he takes another sharp object and slowly drives that in to remove the the nail. Similarly, when greed or hatred or delusion or something arises when the attention goes to an object, we must use our mindfulness very gently and slowly to remove that greed, hatred and delusion from from the mind at that moment. That is one method. That means use the mindfulness to remove this mental state. So that mindfulness is, we train to be mindful, to establish mindfulness in a situation like this, to get rid of our unwholesome mental state. Then, second method is given in this particular place, uh, is uh, when some uh, unwholesome mental state arises, (coughs) one knows that this is Detrimental, this is harmful. this is not going to be beneficial to me. A person who are, who is trying to establish mindfulness should not let this kind of mental state arise. So one has to reflect on one's own uh, practice, what one is trying to do, and then having become mindful of what is one doing. Then one try to uh, get rid of that uh, mental state. The simile Buddha has given is a very beautiful simile. It's like, uh, suppose, a very young woman or man uh, who likes to be attractive, like to be uh, pleasant, uh, handsome, beautiful, attractive, and such a person suddenly finds a carcass hanging around the neck, then person feels very unhappy, is so loathful, ugly, smelly. So the person by all means tries to remove it from the neck. Similarly, when unwholesome mental state arises while meditating, immediately we become mindful, this is not supposed, I am not supposed to practice, this is not the kind of thought that I am supposed to cultivate, so let me be mindful, let me get rid of this unwholesome mental state. It is uh, demeaning me, my my dignity, it is not uh, worthy of cultivating, let me get rid of it. So one has to remind oneself one's own status, one's own position, the place where the, where one is, in the in practice of meditation, and try to get rid of that mental state, unwholesome mental state. Then, <coughs> this is also training meditation. While meditating, practicing Vipassana meditation, these kind of things we have to do to get rid of mental this unwholesome mental state. Why? In order to purify our mind. Then the third method Buddha introduced was uh, persistently arising. One tries not to pay attention to it. It is very interesting. He said manasikāra dhamma manasikāra dhamma amanasikāra dhamma Amanasikata dhamma. Those mental states that we should remember, keep in the mind, we must keep them in the mind. Those mental states we should not keep in the mind, we should not keep them in the mind. That means there are certain mental states which we should pay attention to, and there are certain mental states we should try to forget. That means where we have to let go of certain mental states. When we come to a person meditation, people are always hear, let go of, let go of, let go of, let go of various things. We don't let go of everything we let go of only unwholesome things. Letting go of everything is just like throwing the baby with bad water. We don't do that. We let go of unwholesome things and keep the wholesome things. So to do that, we, having applied all other methods, is certain mental state persistently rising, we try very hard to, not to pay attention to it and forget it. That also is a way to purify the mind. Now, when we say that uh, we are not try- always trying to suppress something, always try to uh, forget something, only when every other method doesn't work, then we try try not to pay attention to those unwholesome and harmful mental states. Then, those mental state, if rise again, then one train train oneself to take it easy. For instance, Buddha gave a very beautiful simile. Suppose somebody is uh, walking, suppose somebody is running, then one might think, why should I run? Why not I walk? Walking is much easier. When he walks, he gets tired and he thinks, why should I walk, why not I sit down? So he sits down. After sitting a while, he might get tired, then he tells himself, why should I sit? Why not I lie down? It's much easier. Similarly, when a certain mental state arises, if he try to get rid of it, in a very harsh way, if it doesn't go away, we use a very gentle way. And if it doesn't work, use still gentler way to get rid of it. And finally, totally relax. Totally relax. And then it fades away. Then, if none of these things works, then we have to, then Buddha said, uh, if it stays in his mind, then, with teeth clenched and his tongue pressed against the roof of the mouth, he should beat down, constrain and crush the mind with the mind. That is the last thing in this series of advice Buddha has given to overcome certain mental state. Then he gives another series of instructions, advices to get rid of mental states, to purify the mind. All we have to do it with mindfulness. They are called training the mind by abandoning by seeing, by see the affect our uh, practice. That means mentally we perceive Mentally, mentally we see how they affect our mind, how unbeneficial they are, and uh, they repeatedly make our practice uh, more and more difficult, then we see them as a kind of uh, analytical way of uh, getting rid of that mental state. This is called dasana. Dasana means vision doesn't also means uh, with uh, analytical, critical uh, and logical uh, examination. We must get rid of certain mental states an unwholesome mental state. And the next thing is through restraint. There are various kinds of restraint. We, we talk about restraint, normally we don't like the word restrain or don't like to be re, don't like to restrain but it is extremely important for the uh, development of our mind if we simply become uh, sort of complacent and uh, let anything go then uh, the practice becomes very difficult uh, this is called sangvara pahan sangvara, the restraining of eyes ears nose tongue, body and mind. You remember the other day I mentioned the two swift messengers coming to deliver a message to the uh, prince sitting in the crossroad in the city. Remember that simile? And uh, and there are six gates, and there's a gatekeeper, very diligent, very skillful, well-trained, gatekeeper. What this gatekeeper does? This gatekeeper guards the gates. What are these gates? Six senses. The gatekeeper is mindfulness. So its duty is to restrain, sort of uh, to screen, being, entering persons, entering the city through these gates. This simile is very important uh, simile for the Vipassana meditation. Vipassana meditators must learn how to pray, how to restrain, uh, how to discipline their uh, seeing, hearing, and so forth with mindfulness. There are various ways of doing it, restraining itself. One is called uh, Sila sangwara. Sila means uh, observing wholesome, noble principles. That's called Sila sangwara. And the other is called sati-saṅvara, sati, Sati, as we have been talking about, is mindfulness. With mindfulness, whenever unwholesome, painful, unprofitable, harmful, mental state arises through our eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and so forth, that instant we become mindful to prevent it from arising through these senses. Then, the other other is Jnana Sangvara. Jnana means uh, uh, knowledge. With our mindfulness, uh, other meaning of mindfulness becomes more uh, meaningful. That is sati, memory. We remember certain mental states, arose in the past and hurt us, uh, troubled us, made our practice difficult. We remember that. And as soon as Next time that mental state arises, then we remember what happened in the past and immediately bring our attention to it to prevent it from arising and becoming strong in our mind and making the practice difficult. Then, the next is uh, uh, Virya Sangwara. Virya means effort. Remember, there are fourfold efforts. Effort to... Uh, one effort is called samvara effort to restrain our senses uh, restrain from uh, unwholesome mental states from arising whenever we talk about unwholesome mental states any mental state which hurts our practice those mental states arise from this through these six gates and uh, we first try to prevent it however if they are so strong, they somehow manage to sneak into our mind. Then we make effort to get rid of them. Once they arise in the mind, we try to get rid of them by using some of these methods. Then arouse the opposite or wholesome mental states with great effort to... Uh, proceed our practice. And then we make effort to maintain those wholesome mental states once arose, such as uh, mindfulness itself, or our uh, peaceful mental states, or if uh, we gain a certain degree of concentration, we try to maintain it with great effort. Then the fifth restraint is called kanti sangvara. Kanti means patience. We have to be, we have to have a lot of patience to tolerate certain amount of uh, discomfort, re- which we should not let trigger unwholesome mental state arising. With uh, patience, we tolerate certain discomfort, and uh, once sometimes when discomfort, painful state arises, at, along with that, negative mental state can also arise. So with great patience, we tolerate discomfort and do not allow unwholesome mental state uh, destroy our practice. This is called rest training. And the other way of training and purifying the mind is using what we use. In the in case of uh, monastics, using uh, food, robes, lodging, and medicine with mindful reflection. This is a very long process. Uh, In short, uh, we mindfully use these in our case four requisites: food, uh, robes, lodging and medicine. We use only for the for serving those particular purposes of those things. For instance, food we use mindfully in order to get rid of our hunger, not to become greedy, uh, not to build up our uh, pride or not to make ourselves look uh, attractive and so forth. We use the, the food only to maintain this body and it's called brahmacharya nuggahaya, in order to live a life. Of uh, we it is translated as a holy life. Actually, the Brahmacharya is uh, Brahmacharya refers to noble eightfold path. In order to follow the noble eightfold path, in order to follow the middle path, to make the practice of middle path easy, we take this food. I use the word. Uh, Brahmacharya to mean uh, Noble Eightfold Path because in many places when somebody has uh, attained enlightenment, uh, that person would declare Vusitam Brahmacharyam. Atankaranya. Vusitam Brahmacharyam means I have lived the Noble Eightfold Path. I have followed the Noble Eightfold Path to purify my mind and I have completed it and purify the mind to express this uh, completion of the course he would say he or she would say ushitam Brahmacharyang, i have lived following the noble eightfold path to attain this state in the buddha's dispensation the word brahmacharya therefore refers to the uh, to two meanings one is uh, celibate life the other is the one who attains the noble, one who the um, stream, what do you call, enlightenment, Arahantur, doesn't follow only the uh, celibate life. He also follows various other uh, principles. All of them are included in the noble eightfold path. Therefore, when he says "usitang brahmacharyang," he means I have completed the training of the noble eightfold path to attain this state. So anyway, even when we eat food, we remember we are following the middle path. That means the noble eightfold path. In order to make that path following easy, I consume this food. I wear these robes with my with mindful reflection that I am wearing this robe not for uh, any other thing but to prevent me from cold, heat, mosquitoes, catflies and uh, cover my nakedness. Not just to show off, to get new fashion. We don't buy new fashion, you know. This, fa- this is our 2,600 years old design. <laughs> we are still using it for those purposes. And then we use shelter also for preventing uh, from getting cold, to prevent uh, us from being affected by the weather, uh, insects, animals and so forth. And we take medicine with mindful reflection only to get well and make it uh, ease. So using sir, using the basic fundamental material, requisites, with mindful reflection, also we can reduce our unwholesome mental state and cleanse the mind. And we abandon certain mental states, unwholesome mental states, with uh, enduring, such as sometimes hunger, thirst, discomfort, and so forth, For a noble purpose, we tolerate them. And uh, also we try to clean our our mind by avoiding certain situations. When we get involved in those situations, we can get, uh, mind can get uh, tempted, get into a lot of uh, trouble, so it is better to avoid those places animals, situations, so that we can keep the mind calm, clear and peaceful. And uh, the last, of course, is the developing. We have to develop various mental states, they are called factors of enlightenment, each of which we have to develop in order to purify our mind. So this is one purpose, one of the five purposes of pre meditation meditation. Purification of being. There are various methods of purification. In Ratavinita Sutta in Majjhima Nikaya, seven steps are given, and these seven steps are elaborated in Visuddhimagga and into thick book. Uh, so, the practice of mindfulness is to purify our mind, clean our mind. One of the purposes. There are four other purposes, which I will mention later on, but uh, for now, I should stop here. It's, uh, I think my time is up. Tomorrow I will start. I will continue uh, the other four purposes.